through Galilee, there is a mountain range that runs along the countryside. It, it runs like a backbone all through the land where Jesus grew up and like mountain chains, one uh, sort of grows out of the other and they are all connected. But a few miles away from the last one of these mountains to the north is a, is a lonely little mountain all by itself, very odd looking there completely alone. It is separated from the rest of the mountains in the chain. It just pops up out of nowhere, a, a little bit like Stone Mountain in Georgia, if you, uh, if you have seen Stone Mountain, though much greener, springs up out of flat land around it, and that mountain is called Mount Tabor. It's a beautiful place. Uh, it is cool, and it's bright, and it's green, secluded, too, because it's a, it's a good way up to the top of Mount Tabor, an ordeal to get up there, and certainly would have been an ordeal in Jesus' time to climb to the top of Mount Tabor. There would have been few people up there. And one day, Jesus picks uh, some of his favorites, Peter, James, and John, and he climbs up to the top of that mountain with them, it would have taken them all morning long. And they finally get to this spot at the top and they begin to pray. The sun is shining, it's peaceful, it's quiet, and something very unexpected happens up on the mountaintop. Jesus, the gospel says, becomes transfigured before them. Now, I do not pretend to know exactly what that means. I'm not entirely sure. I am sure there are some in this room who understand better than I, but uh, it's anything but clear to me exactly what that was that happened. His clothes become dazzlingly white, whiter than the fuller's soap, uh, and suddenly Jesus is speaking with two men, Moses and Elijah. And the veil between heaven and earth momentarily rends and opens up in the form of descending clouds. And the voice of the Father booms out over the silence to deliver a message to the only three people up there who needed to hear it. And he said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Well, at, at resurrection, we often speak of Peter's uh, endearing habit of speaking brashly before he quite understands the significance of the situation around him. And he recognizes that something is happening beyond anything this world had ever seen before. And then the clouds lift and the prophets depart and the heavens retreat back into realms unknown. And Peter is left there on the mountain dazzling bright, and he's standing there with the Son of God and the Father Almighty who sang the world into existence has just delivered a message into his ear. And Peter could have stayed up there forever. In fact, that's what he says. Well, years ago when my little group of pilgrims made it to the top of Mount Tabor, I could see where he was coming from. Uh, it was as bright a day as you've ever seen in your life. We were there in January, so it was about 70, 
hello there. It was about 70 degrees. Uh, the, the birds were singing. You could not hear one man-made noise as you stood there under what might have been the only real trees that I saw the whole time I was there. And I celebrated the Eucharist in the, at, an, at the altar in the ruins of a monastery that had been there for 1,300 years. The church there was just beautiful with the light streaming in the, the windows. It, it had a chapel for Moses on one side and a chapel for Elijah on the other side, just as Peter had envisioned, as he had seen that there should be. And I mean to tell you, I could have stayed there forever. And eventually, Amir, our guide, walked around gathering up our little group and telling us that we, we had to come down. We had to go back down. And I really hated to leave. But eventually, you, you have to move on. Well, every now and then, I find myself on the mountain again. It can happen almost anywhere, but to tell you the truth, it, it sometimes happens in this holy place within these very walls. Uh, sometimes the clouds part and we have an encounter with heaven itself, and sometimes I can almost hear the voice of God. The Holy Spirit sometimes makes his presence known in such a way that I know he is present with me. And when that happens, I could just stay there forever or stay here forever. The Holy Spirit is positively woven into every fiber of this building, every joint in the, the room around us. It has held the prayers and the praises of God's people for decades and decades, and I love it dearly. And I am on the mountain with the Lord, and when that happens, I could stay up there forever. And isn't that just exactly what Peter said? He said, Lord, this, it is good that we are here. This is good, and this is holy, and we are here with you, and I'm never leaving. And we could build you a, a little dwelling right here, and we could build one for, for Moses, and we could build one for Elijah, and we could hide you away from the rest of the world, and you would never have to leave, and you wouldn't have to suffer, and you would not have to die. But what did the Father say? He said, this is the Son of God, and listen to what he has been telling you. Well, what was that? What was it that Jesus had been saying? What, what was it he had been saying to the disciples since he met them? Well, he said, we cannot sit around and be pleased with ourselves because time is short and there is so much work to be done. Eventually, we have to come down from the mountain and get to work. Eventually, we have to climb down from the cathedral and head back to resurrection. Uh, how often did Jesus have these moments with the Father, I wonder? How often did he get a glimpse of home when he was here on this earth? Uh, you know, they did happen, but I don't get the idea from the Scriptures that they happened all that frequently. And when they did happen, Jesus didn't dwell on them. Not for too long. He cut them off, and he got back to work. And I sometimes get the idea that Jesus was careful with these moments. He knew not to let them hang around too long. You could pine away in those moments, and we don't have time for pining. We don't have time to let our eyes glaze over and sit back and be proud of ourselves. 
Now, we are sometimes given gifts from God. We get brief glimpses into heaven, and we have to remember why we are given those gifts. To visit the mountain is to be reminded of that for which we work. It's to focus our will and to focus our intent, but it's not to distract us from the work we have been given to do. It could be awfully easy for a church that does so much for the diocese and so very much for the community around it. It would be so easy to be content. You know, this congregation has taken risks for the people of God for something like 200 years, more than 200 years, nearly 200, nearly 200 years, whatever. Uh, you, You have called priests for congregations that could not afford priests. You have planted I don't know how many churches in your history, not just diocese, but statewide, for for towns and communities that needed a place to find their God. You had a strong hand in planting uh, my parish, Resurrection, in in Williamson County, which has at least twice in its history been the fastest growing parish in the diocese. But it, just like the cathedral, has at times fallen on hard times. About seven years ago, St. George's had to step in, and the diocese got behind a a new bright idea, which is sometimes hard for a diocese to do. And most importantly, God scooped us into his arms, and the Holy Spirit blew through like fire, and today we have ourselves a church. But we cannot be folks who are content to have a church. This world is full of those people, and to be perfectly honest, they're pretty useless to the kingdom of God. We have to be the folks who are the church, as cliche as that may sound. Part of the most beautiful ministry of a cathedral, of the cathedral, of our cathedral, is its call to remind all of us in the rest of Middle Tennessee of our place in the one body of Jesus Christ, as members of that one body, the body which is the diocese, the body which is the church, and the body which is Christ Jesus the Lord. The cathedral of the diocese calls us to focus outward. Nowhere is this ministry more important than in Tennessee, and I'll plug my small churches for a moment, but nowhere is it more important than among the small and the rural congregations to have the cathedral pointing us outward, reminding us of our place as members of the body. And I fear that as those members, we are faced with with revitalizing at least 15 small churches across our diocese in the next 10 years, or the next bishop will be faced with a very difficult decision regarding their futures. And in order to stand on the mountaintop of our proud history, we have to walk sometimes into the desert of hard work and difficult truths. Now this Tuesday, Mardi Gras, at Resurrection, we will begin cooking the biggest pots you've ever seen in your whole life of a very fine South Louisiana gumbo. Uh, Being from Baton Rouge, I can assure you that my gumbo is superior to Mother Madeline's North Louisiana gumbo. (laughs) in every conceivable way. 
We don't eat pancakes at Resurrection on Tuesday because folks in Louisiana know that you can eat pancakes during Lent. We do Mardi Gras up big at Resurrection. We take that party very seriously because we take Ash Wednesday very seriously. And I know that you take it seriously here too. And when Tuesday is over, we will all make the decision to turn our faces toward the desert, toward hard work and toward harsh realities from the mountaintop right down into the depths of the valley. And Peter said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us hide you away on this mountaintop forever. But Jesus took Peter by his hand and led him away from the mountain and set his face toward the cross. Amen.